This is Gross Anatomy, where pop culture meets health culture. Let's get to it. tell everyone where San Pancho, Mexico is just in case someone hasn't heard of it? So if you were to fly in, into Puerto Vallarta, we're about an hour north of Puerto Vallarta on the Pacific Beach. Cool. I never heard of San Pancho, San, San Pancho Mexico, but of course I've heard of Puerto Vallarta. But being a, an old guy like myself, and there's Rachel in the background. I love it. Hey, Rachel. Being uh, an old guy like myself, I, I don't know how old you are, Riley, but I, I doubt you, Ali, know what Puerto Vallarta means something very special to me. It means Saturday nights because Saturday night when we were kids at, I think, I don't remember if it was 8 or 9 p.m. Do, do either of you have any idea what I'm talking about? No. Nope. This may have been before we were born. I yeah, don't know. I'm old. I'm old. The, <laughs> I, I know you wouldn't know, Ali, but the love boat, the love boat was on. Okay. Oh. And then I think it was in at nine, and then Fancy Island was at 10. But the love boat was this cruise ship that always went to Puerto Vallarta. That was kind of, and that to me was always Puerto Vallarta. So thank you for just taking me back to the love boat. <laughs> I appreciate to, to my Saturday nights as a, as a young kid. I love it. Um, I'm going to give Riley's intro before we <laughs> dive too deep into our past memories of San Pancho and Puerto Vallarta. Okay, so today we have on Riley. Riley has an amazing story to share with us. We met in Mexico in San Pancho in his conscious living shop. I might butcher the name. La Secha? La Cosecha. La Cosecha. I was blown away by you and your story, and I... I've been thinking about you ever since, honestly, and it took me a little oh. bit to track you down because I think I got the number of your friend and thought it was you. So I texted him and then he was like, oh, you're talking about Riley. So then I made him give me your real number and here we are. Okay. Okay. And just a quick clarification, San Poncho is actually San Francisco on a map. It's just like a Mexican, Mexican nickname. But yeah, I, I loved when you came into the store and I, I guess I just shared my story instantly and yeah, we kind of connected. Yeah, um, I am always drawn to any sort of like plant-based. Dr. Cohen here is also very plant-based, mostly vegan, I believe fully vegan. So whenever I'm abroad and I can find any sort of like health conscious living, vegan foods, I'm always zipping in there. So it was cool also to meet the shop owner. That's always special. And I immediately asked Riley, like, where are you from? What brought you here? Um, and got a, some interesting little tidbits and was like, okay, I, I need to have a longer conversation with this guy. So yeah. First of all, where are you from? Can you give us a little bit of your personal background? <clears throat> yeah, I was born in Spokane, Washington, and continued to live kind of around the Northwest most of my, uh, till like my 20s. And then I seemed to kind of just continue to move south. I moved down to Phoenix, spent a lot of time there, and then was able to finally make my way down to my dream come true place, San Pancho, Mexico. 
And so, so yeah. So but, cool. Even so, even as a little kid, so I'm, I don't, I don't know, you know, I, I love that Allie and you found each other and it excites me and, and all of that. But so I, I'm always intrigued about people's journeys a little bit. So um, I run this pre-med program. And one of the things we do is we interview the healthcare people and talk about how they got to be where they were. And, you know, so doctors, was it, were they always, did they always want to be a doctor? And you, so, so you just said something, you always as a kid wanted to wind up in Mexico. So, so tell no. us how that, how that is. No, I guess I'll just get into my story because I think it would clarify a lot of things. So I ended up in Mexico to come do a plant called a boga from Africa. But what originally got me to that point was that I was addicted to meth and heroin. And so on a podcast, actually, I'd heard about this plant called iboga and that it can help. It can wow. help. How do you spell? Do you know how to spell? I-B-O-G-A or, or Ibogaine. I-B-O-G-A-I-N-E. Got it. Are the two. Yes. And so, yeah, I, I basically was an addict to meth and heroin. Mainly, I, I was an addict in Washington. Then I moved to Phoenix to try to get better. And then in Phoenix, I got worse. And uh, just wasn't able to keep my life together anymore. I wasn't able to keep a job, a partner. You know, I was living at my mom's house. And I heard about this podcast. I heard about this plant, Iboga, on a podcast. And as soon as I heard about it, it was like, I have to do this. It wasn't like, I want to or anything like that. It was just like, this is what I need to do. And so that was the first time I actually like asked for help and tried to seek some kind of treatment. Um, and about two months later, I ended up in San Pancho, Mexico. Um, and it was really interesting. I arrived at the clinic and... Um, they helped stabilize me for a week. Since I was an addict, my body wasn't working correctly. I was constipated. You know, a lot of, you know, things weren't going well. Um, so what they do is they monitor you for a week, but they also stabilize you on morphine. And I found that really interesting because I had this self-belief about myself that I needed to be punished for the path that I had chosen. I was a drug addict. I was a terrible person. It was something that I like, kept secret for so long from everybody. And I deserved to be punished. But instead, Chris and Murrah, the people who helped treat me, they were like, no, like we want to take you through this as gently as possible and just try to show you that you have light inside of you. And so I took morphine until the day before I took Iboga. And, it was and actual morphine, not methadone. It was, it was actual morphine. It was, it was morphine. Actually, methadone can be since it's one of the like precursors to an opiate. It can actually be a lot harder to detox from. Right. And so, uh, methadone, suboxone, uh, fentanyl, those things can all be a little bit more complicated. And morphine is one of the cleanest, fastest acting opiates that's actually good to use close to iboga. And so it's best to kind of stabilize on that just because it's easier on your body to kind of detox from. Easier to wean off. How old were you when, if you don't mind my asking, how old were you when, when you first started using drugs? Um, I, so 
I've, I had a lot of labels about myself when I was young. Um, at 13, I was sent away to a group home, which I first identified me as a troubled teen, you know, like a problem child. And then after I got out of there, I ended up going to prison from 19 to 21. Wow. Um, and wow. then I had the label of being a convict. And right after that, I got into my addiction um, heavy. You know, like before I was 13, I, I did do um, like marijuana. I had done meth by 13, actually. Wow. Yeah. And so I was, I was kind of a reckless, crazy kid. And then after being a convict, I went straight into drug addiction. Yeah. And I was a drug addict from like 21 to 27. Wow. And wow. just if you're curious, I'm 37 now. So you were, you were 27 when you wound up down in Mexico? Yeah. How did you get down there? So that's one of the things that's really kind of difficult about, especially detoxes with iboga, um, is that it's really expensive. And there's not like an insurance that's going to be like, yeah, we'll fly you down to to Mexico to take this plant that we've never heard, you know, like it's just not part of that. And so my mom knew I was like taking pills. But as soon as I heard about Iboga, I went to her and said, mom, I'm addicted to meth and heroin. I need help. And I think I found something that can help me. And I was lucky enough to have a mom that believed what I was saying and believed that sending her kid down to Mexico to take a psychedelic from Africa would be a good idea. I love your mom. Is she still around? I love my mom too. Yeah, she's still around. She's amazing. Yeah. We love your mom. Did she, did she bring you yeah. down or you or you went with by yourself I, even? I went by myself. Wow. wow. Yeah. What a scary solo journey, I bet. Even when I've traveled alone, just to like travel alone, I get nervous. So I can't imagine traveling alone to like really change your life. Yeah. And the, you know, fear of getting sick and, you know, like I just didn't really understand what was going to happen, but I just knew I needed to get to Mexico to do Ibogaine because Iboga or Ibogaine are schedule one. They're both illegal, illegal. And, and it's, you know, I'm a little bit of a conspiracy theorist, but there's no profit in something that you take one time, you know, Suboxone and Methadone are really, you know, like what they use to treat, but all that changes is your your drug dealer. Your drug dealer becomes a doctor. You know, it's yeah. harm reduction, which is good, you know, can give you a more stable life, but you're still just addicted and methadone and suboxone can be a lot harder on your body than actual heroin, not fentanyl. Like nowadays what's out there is it's so scary. And and you went down do you actually did you actually make some kind of appointment or you kind of just showed up at these people's door? No, I I made an appointment. I was lucky enough to find the people that I had found. I had actually read like a paper from I don't remember what Harvard professor about Iboga. And he put on there, message me if you're interested. And he gave me a list of providers that he would recommend. And yeah, this is one of them messaged me back and, and we started talking that feels as soon really, as I talked to him it was like this is the guy this is that, I feel like that you manifested that like just to hear that on a podcast and get that it's like the universe being in your favor that's amazing yeah, yeah I feel that very much as well 
also what popped into my mind is how harmful those labels can be. I remember even in some of my communications classes, I was a media studies major. Uh, we took a lot of like communication theory and there was all these studies on self-fulfilling prophecy. Like if you get labeled as things, you kind of fulfill that prophecy. You start to believe like, oh, I am X and I do act mm -hmm. this way. And I, it sounds like you getting these hard labels on a file in hard yeah. print is like, I am a convict. I am a troubled teen rather yeah. than, I don't know if there's a, you know, people go through hard times and I am in whatever, however they could have worded it that was more positive. I am in remission. I am recuperating into society. I am whatever. It sounds yeah. like those labels are really, really harmful for you. And I'm sure so many people who leave those programs. Absolutely. Yeah. What about moving to Mexico, even in your program and post-program has been challenging or amazing or like, what have you learned? <laughs> it's so far from home for you, it seems. So to kind of get back to the story a little bit, because um, I think I'll be able to answer your question. I... They ended up stabilizing me on morphine. And then uh, the day before I was going to take Iboga, um, I stopped the morphine. And that next night, I ended up taking Ibogaine and went through a 24, 36-hour kind of trip. But it's not your classic psychedelic. It's more of like a dream state. It's more like you're laying in bed with your eyes closed. and it, you're able to kind of go into your your subconscious, you know? Somebody once said that, and I really like this analogy, it's like having like a mouse to a computer, but like to your soul. So like your innerness, you know? And you really go into it with intentions. And uh, so it's very much like questions and answers and you are very intentional about it. Sorry for that. And so when I woke up from my Ibogaine, experience, I had no cravings, I had no withdrawals, and I had this experience with God, you know, like a connection to Mother Nature, you know, just this kind of like God experience. And it radically changed my life since then. And so after that, being in San Pancho was such an amazing place to be able to have this experience because I was able to go to the beach and like swim in the ocean and just be, I felt like I learned patience just by swimming in the, the ocean, you know, and was able to just kind of connect a lot of dots together about how to be happy and sober. It really gave me such a clear viewpoint of just saying addict life, sad life, sober life, happy life. What direction do I want to go? And it really just gave me those two roads. And it, ever since I kind of gained that truth, my, my life's been radically different. And so then after, you know, spending some time here doing aftercare and integration of Ibogaine, I realized that I needed to go home, sell my vehicle, have a garage sale, and just live in San Pancho to, to integrate and learn more about myself for as long as possible. And that was my first time moving to San Pancho, which was 10 years ago. And then now I have been in San Pancho. I mean, I, I go up to the States to make some money for about three to four months a year, but I've been here permanently, semi-permanently for four years. 
with doing the iboga, was it just a one-time treatment or or do you do it multiple? How, how does that work? So you do one, they consider it a flood dose, which is like the addiction breaking dose, which is like a larger dose. But the day before that I took the the flood dose, we went to the jungle and did a, a ceremony of asking the ancestors permission and um, I, and I took a little bit of iboga then. And then a couple of days after my flood dose, I took a little bit more medicine as well, but just kind of like, they call them boosters. And so just little amounts of medicine, but in my time in the clinic, in the Ibogaine clinic, I took medicine four times, but one large addiction breaking dose. And then afterwards, I, I didn't have all the tools you know, to stay sober. My dog ended up getting really injured. I ended up not knowing how to cope with it. And I ended up relapsing. But as soon as I relapsed, I had this truth of already known inside of me that this isn't the life I wanted to live. I tried to get sober as soon as possible. And, and so, when you relapsed, you were back in the States or you were down in Mexico still? So I was down in Mexico realized I needed to get up to the States because there's a really strong Iboga community here. And I was actually a part of this Ibogaine AA meeting kind of thing that we were helping lead. And I was like, I'm going to like hurt people, you know, like I'm going to be a bad influence. And so I ended up going up to the States and then, yeah. And then I ended up, the whole process was, I ended up, thanks to Obamacare, I got a free rehab in the States got sober for a little while, got injured, got unsober, and then I decided to do iboga a second time. Then after that second time, I've never touched meth or heroin ever again. Wow. For you. Do you think that there are benefits to anyone doing iboga, or is it pretty unanimously used for addicts? So what it's most commonly known for is drug addictions. And that's where like it's kind of popularity. Not that it's popular like ayahuasca or anything, but it that's what most people know it for. But it has one of the most complex pharmacologies in all of the alkaloids. It can't be repeated in the molecular structure. They can't make it synthetically. And it is very, very useful psychospiritually as well because it gives you such a change of perceptions about your life that, yeah. And then when you're not having to deal with the like harshness of treating a drug addict, you know, the medicine is able to kind of come in more and it can be a lot more effective and especially, you know, like changing patterns or some things that you want to figure out, even just connecting with your ancestors. There's a lot of, different ways it's most common for drug addiction treatments but now there's like a new wave coming through where people are realizing that it's not just for drug addictions it can be extremely powerful in so many other ways it's actually being found that it's really useful in parkinson's treatments yeah it um, releases a protein gdnf which is considered one of the best treatments of parkinson's disease that is able to regrow the dopamine uh, neurogenic neurons for people who have uh, Parkinson's. So there's a lot of studies that it's going, that are like going into treatments of Parkinson's with this drug. 
It also is a dopamine re-up inhibitor. It's a serotonin re-up inhibitor. It sounds yeah. it sounds quite similar to to ayahuasca, right? It, it... So when I describe it to people, because I would say, I mean, now a little bit more people know about it. But when I was first talking about iboga, because I felt like I became like an ambassador about iboga, you know, and I wanted everybody to try it. Like 98% of the people I ever mentioned it to had never heard of it. And uh, with ayahuasca, it's most relatable, you know, in that it's not something that you do for fun. It's work and it's intentional. But ayahuasca comes from the Amazon. Iboga comes from the jungles of Africa. They work in completely different ways, but it's as far as plant medicine relatability, I would say ayahuasca and iboga are, are the most similar. Have you tried ayahuasca? Yeah. So I'm actually, it took me eight years from the first time I took iboga to finally feel like I wanted to do ayahuasca with this, this, this certain group. And, uh, and actually, I'm in Dieta right now to do ayahuasca here on Wednesday again. And then I also am a helper, which is kind of a dream come true for me to be invited into the circle. We're bringing three maestros up from Peru, which are from the Shipibu lineage. So like people who have grown up with this and part of their, their lives, their whole lives. And just to even like be invited or a part of the circle is, is really, really amazing and awesome. Would you, as someone who's actually tried both, say that the experiences are similar? Because I, I, I have no idea. And I, I don't think Allie has any idea. Yeah. So I would say that or a saying is with ayahuasca, you very much go out. You go out into the infinite universe of knowledge and and different perspectives. And it's very much out here, out above. And, and with iboga, you go within. It's all within. And it's soul work. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you can have similar results with both of them. I think with all of them, there's a really common word that people around psychedelics like to use and it's neuroplasticity mm-hmm. that from mushrooms to ketamine to yeah. iboga ayahuasca but i think people can have a life-changing experience on each one of these you know i kind of like to think of it as like a snow globe you know and you're just like shaking up your brain shaking yeah. it up shaking it up and then all the snow falls completely different than what it was before and it allows mm-hmm. your brain to be able to make new pathways, new roads, you know, new ways of like connecting to each other. But definitely ayahuasca and iboga and 5-MeO-DMT might be up there as well, are some of the most powerful experiences that you can have. Yeah, we definitely touched on that a little bit when we talked about mushrooms. I know that there are a lot of people who will take really high doses in hopes of helping with really intense pathways like OCD or things that are like are really subconscious. So that makes sense that psychedelics in different ways might harness that power. However you get there. However you get there. What would you say now people like, I think will microdose mushrooms and stuff, but that's a really different thing. I was listening to one of you guys' podcasts, Jason, you were going to like a wedding or something and you were wanting to have everybody <laughs> microdose mushrooms. Was that a successful endeavor? 
Oh, we're going in June, so stay tuned. Oh, okay, it hasn't happened yet. Okay, well, okay. Allie will be there. That's it. it's my daughter's okay. wedding. Who's one of that? Okay, and Allie and my daughter are pretty are best friends. So, uh, have you asked your daughter about it? She's the one who brought, she and her friend. Okay, okay. it's all of their okay, idea. Awesome. It's like, Dad, this awesome. is what we're going to be doing, and I'm like, I'm in. Amazing. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> I love that you listen to the mushroom, Jason's mushroom story. It is. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We'll have to have a follow up after the wedding. That's for sure. We'll I want to hear about it. Yeah. We'll um, I was going to ask, what do you think the importance of uh, having a guide, whether it be like spiritual? I know some have like medical because there's trials now. Like, what do you think the importance of a guide is with a psychedelic experience, especially if it's your first time? Yes. So especially with iboga. So mm -hmm. iboga can actually be life threatening. And it's mm -hmm. one of the only psychedelics that can actually really threaten your life. And we need to do an EKG, we need to do a CBC, and we need to make sure that your uh, potassium, magnesium levels, everything is at like a good place. We talk a lot about how well you're pooping. You know, like we just check in on your body a lot to to make sure that you're qualified because uh, iboga can affect the heart. Um, and so people who have bradycardia symptoms, is that how I'd say it? Br bradycardia, like a low Brady resting heart rate. Bradycardia, uh, slow heart, yeah. Yeah, or if they have any QT prolonged symptoms, prolonging symptoms, we really need to address how to use the medicine with them. Mm -hmm. But nowadays there's been so many studies and I wouldn't say so many studies, but there's a community that has shared so much information with each other. Since it is illegal, it's hard to do all these studies that we have an informed way on how to treat. And especially when it comes to close to, especially with drug addicts, you know, which is just like a person. Your body's, in, yeah, not in its yeah. best physical shape, I'm sure. And like, not you're not taking care of yourself in the best way. Yeah. And it, there's also not always the most amount of honesty in those places as well. And so with Iboga, 100%, I think you need a sitter that knows what they're doing. You need the medical tests. And I don't recommend microdosing iboga until you've had a therapeutic dose of iboga because microdosing can kind of take you to a scary place you weren't necessarily prepared for mm. and until you like trust the medicine and what it can do but that's my opinion i used to want to give people microdoses and just like hey if you're not just try this a little bit you know yeah and, yeah. and and a majority of people it it overwhelmed them you know and it wasn't yeah, if you're not the mentally... experience. Mm -hmm. exactly okay. and so that's my opinion, but I also think there's so much beauty in trying with a group of friends mushrooms for the first time. At least with somebody that has experience doing it. Um, I have a group of friends who all had never done it and did it together, and they they went hiking into the jungle and didn't realize how scary that could be if you didn't know where you were, Yeah, you know, and you like didn't know how to get back home and they got really confused and it got into like a really overwhelming situation for them. Mm -hmm. So it's good to like set and setting is really, really important. Having experiences, you know, not necessarily with like a actual sitter, but just with people who have been through it before that kind of can help guide you. And I think, it's also to feel, you know, like one of the most important things is to feel like safe and secure mm -hmm. and clean your house before. 
you know, like try to have a beautiful setting and yeah. hug a tree and ask, be like, hey, you know, like I'm coming to try to like connect with you more, make a fire, you know, like do something intentionally to try to, you know, just like ask whatever, whatever gods you believe in permission, but like, and also in a way to try to like connect in a better way to yourself and, and them. That leads me to ask a little bit about, because you're kind of walking into it, about what brought you to conscious living. It sounds like this experience brought you to how important it was to you to like kind of take care of yourself. And it sounds like it made it really black and white to happy is this way and unhappy is this way. Then how was that shift for you? That goes into kind of crazy psychedelic story, I guess. So, I mean, I've always, after taking iboga, I really connected to mother nature and really found that like mother nature can give me all that I need. And if I'm feeling bad, just even going on a walk, how much that can change how I feel. And so I have an obsession with plants. And if you come back to San Pancho, I'd love to give you like a plant tour of my house. It's one of my favorite things to do. And the the conscious living part, like I never would have imagined that I had a store like the one I do here or where, you know, we're offering organic products, like a bunch of powders and tarot cards and incense. And we have all these, all these things that we are trying to do as consciously as possible, locally made, but how it started was just kind of a thing out of need for the town. My wife and I had decided that maybe this would be a, a good idea of something for us to do in town. And then later, I ended up doing ayahuasca for the first time. And during that trip, I ended up in these ceremonies that I work with, you drink ayahuasca three times, three nights in a row. And so during the second night, I ended up having visions of a couple in town that I know. One has a bicycle store where he works on bikes for the community and the others is always involved in all the kind of like associations and speaking events. She's a Pilates teacher. And it was just repeating visions of them in town, kind of working on bikes, talking to people, her like speaking. And I was so confused by it what what is this like do i have a thing for them like what i need to i need to invite them to dinner and tell them maybe i'll be able to figure out why this whole night has been dedicated to them and then when i ended up getting and doing the store i ended up realizing that what i was really desiring is a place in the community to be able to like participate and offer something that the community needed and that was like a deep desire inside of myself. I have some social anxiety and it's hard for me to always go out. And as you know, San Pancho can be very social. There's always somebody you're running into. And I found myself just kind of staying with my plants all the time. And I realized that this was showing me something that I desired deep down inside of me. And so, yeah, it was just a weird revelation all of a sudden, you know, like six months later that this is the store is giving that to me and what has aligned for you since opening the store and understanding that vision of i want to be part of the community i want to give people this gift well conscious living can be really difficult and eating organic can be really expensive um and so it wasn't something that i was always doing 
or participating in. And so it's been a huge learning curve for me. It's been, uh, there's so much to learn in so many different avenues and even just so many different effects that one single plant can have. And so it's brought me to like a more conscious state of living and it's made the life that I dream of living more capable. Mm. What's the name of the store? La Cosecha, which means the harvest. And what's the main, your main things that you sell there? I grow the microgreens out of there. And then uh, I grow, I also sell a lot of like tomato plants and different herbs and different plants for people's houses. But then we have from the dairy farm in the next town over, we have unpasteurized to pasteurized milk and yogurts and organic veggies, salad, hummus, kombuchas, cheeses made locally. What's your favorite um, plant? My favorite plant? That's yeah, a big question. You like, spend, you like to spend time uh, with your plants. So what's your favorite plant? Iboga, of course. It's like <laughs> actually the brand. It's on my brand, you know, my business card, oh. everything for La Cosecha. That's, that's the what's, iboga What's your plant. favorite plant that you that you actually grow? Oh. I grow iboga. I have about 150 in my backyard. Wow. Dude, really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. It's because it changed amazing. your yeah. life. Of course it's your favorite plant. Yeah, it's changed your yeah. life. And I just actually recently got back from Gabon. So I just went to Gabon in September, Gabon, Africa, to take iboga traditionally. How was uh, that? It's a whole nother story. I mean, it was... It when was, were you it in was, Gabon? In September. Because they just had a whole big uprising there. So I was on the plane to New York to catch my next plane to uh, France, then to Gabon. And as I was on the plane is when they had the military coup. Wow. And so it was like, oh, oh wow, like what's happening? Luckily, I had a great friend in, in New York to spend time with. And there's also seven other countries that have gone through military coups whose borders aren't necessarily open up yet. Their fly zones are still closed down. So I gave it a week. And on that weekday, they opened their borders back up. And the next day I flew in. Wow. I, I actually spent some time in Gabon. I spent a couple of weeks there. I, I got to, I got to know actually, oddly enough, uh, some of the people involved in that coup while I was Whoa. visiting. But uh, I, I don't. How did it end up? I, I kind of lost sight of it. Do do you do you know what how it ended? I it's not quite ended. You know, like the military general is still in main power. They are looking to do new elections, but I think it's going to be in like a year type of thing. And they're going to take some time to be able to do it. When you were there, you did the Iboga? Yeah. Were you yeah, worried about what was going on in the country and doing that and being there during all that time? So funny story, another story about my mom. I called my mom when I was in New York and I was like, mom, I know this seems crazy, but I really need to like ask what you think and get see like how you feel about this. I don't think I should be going into a country that is having a military coup. And she gave me her blessing. She's like, sounds like a great adventure. I think you should do it. Look, like, we, love we love your mom. Yeah. yeah. Why is your mom yeah. not on this podcast? We need to have mom on the podcast uh, podcast with you. You can come on next. Yeah, I'll let her know. Part <laughs> two will be with your mom. That's awesome. Yeah. Your mom is awesome. Shout out mom. She is. Yeah. She's yeah. badass. And, and What's so, your mom's name? 
<laughs> Patty, Patty Joe. Patty Joe, shout out to you, Patty Joe. We love you. Is she oh, still yeah. in love you, Mom. She's in Phoenix. Okay, cool. She's in Phoenix, Arizona. And so when I was there, the military coup wasn't uh, the military taking over, shooting at people and all this violence and things like that. It was everybody there was excited because they're tired of this uh, family that had been in range for like over 45 years. And uh, just all of their resources were being pillaged. The people weren't seeing any, you know, benefits from any of it except the people that were in power. And right. so the energy there was exciting. Like it was, it was uh, cool. You know, the police weren't very nice, but yeah, it was a really, really beautiful and crazy experience. Is Ibogaine legal there or? So they have a whole, it's like a way of life. I guess it would be easiest to translate as like a religion called Bwiti, Bwete. And uh, it is so interesting and hard to understand and superstitious. And so I actually went to be like initiated into one of the lineages called the Sumba, which they call the tree trunk. It was like the original practice of iboga into kind of a, a way of life but it's not like you're wor you were worried down there that you're doing this illegal thing you, you it just was not illegal no oh, it's very cool. much accepted yeah. when i got to the village that i was going to be working at you know we had to like meet with the chiefs and the um, mayor and you know the mayor was a christian and he's like i'll be at your initiation you know like everybody wanted to come that's awesome. Um, That's sweet. And participate. And so, like, depending on their religion, because, you know, Christian to Muslim to people who practice Bwiti, they all intertwine and they all see the value, you know? Is anyone growing it in the States? But maybe yes, I it's don't, probably I, not legal here, so we can... <laughs> so a funny story is that at the University of Miami, I think it was, there's a university in... in uh, Florida, at least that's what I know for a fact. Um, it was one of the universities that was a pioneer in psychedelic studies before they became legal, was growing it on their campus unknowingly for like 15, 20 years that's until cool. they found kids going and taking the seeds and then selling the seeds. And, and so, yeah, I actually have seeds or plants from those ibogas. That's wow. wild. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, Florida. It's kind of a cool story. Yeah. Oh, oh Florida. Oh, Florida. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Um, what are you looking forward to next? It feels, it sounds like you've gotten to this really settled space of your, your shop and your health being good. And sounds like you're married. Congratulations. I don't know how recent that is. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So I moved down to San Pancho four years ago to work in the clinic that I had originally worked in. And as soon as I came down, my teacher, my provider of Iboga was having his mom got really sick, his dad got really sick, and he had to step away from the medicine, let go of his clinic, and kind of just everything was like, whoa, what's happening? I had, you know, been coming down for the last 10 years, helping in the clinic randomly when I was here, but I was never able to like move permanently. And so just in this last year, my provider um, has given us, so another person who had worked in the clinic, her name's Danny for like four years. 
he gave us permission and full support to start doing psycho-spiritual doses of iboga. And so that was another one of the reasons that I went to Africa to really try to understand like what I'm doing. Um, and doing psycho-spiritual doses, you don't need to go to like a life-threatening dose. There's so much more complications that come when you're working with addictions and things like that. And so we've been working for the last year with people in the psycho-spiritual realm. And as well, I've been invited to be working in the ayahuasca circles, being a helper to the facilitators and the maestros. And so I am really excited to like this path that it's led to me, that I've been led into, you know, like 10 years down the road. It was an idea back then. You don't want to just jump into something, especially something as, as big as this. But now to be kind of in a place where other people are seeing that this is giving their blessings, um, I'm just really excited to be participating in plant medicine ceremonies and broadening my, my experience in, in these ways. It's amazing that you've done um, also the work of going to learn in the communities that it comes from. I think that that's really important. That's really good that you do that. Yeah. Also, can if one more of Dr. Cohen's dogs comes in the room, what, how many do you have? One more comes in every five minutes. <laughs> I, I have six dogs at my house right now. I'm losing my mind. Oh, wow. You know, you like San Pancho, the dog, it's always, can you dog sit for me? Can you dog sit for me? And, you know, maybe one of my lessons is to learn how to sit. We only have three. Right okay, now. Halfway, halfway. Yeah, we only have three. I have a feeling they'll catch up to you. Yeah, really. I think we're about to get another one, actually. I believe it. They always have least, a few dogs since I've known them. Yeah. Yeah. I In my store, I have like a sign, please help us foster two puppies. And <laughs> last year, I didn't do so many. I maybe did like six, seven fosters. But the year before, I did like 25 fosters. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun, but it's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. Well, that's all the questions I have for you today. We've kept you for quite a long time, but we usually wrap with asking you what you're consuming right now, media wise. So whether it's like a book, a podcast you're listening to, a show you're watching. So a podcast that I really love, it's called The Universe Within. And it's mm -hmm. a long form podcast about psychedelic work. And I really, really love it. A lot of the podcasts that I found about psychedelics are kind of short form and you're not really able to get to the meat when you're not able to talk long enough. I also, if anybody's interested in learning more about Buidi or Iboga, there's two, the first documentary is called Gabon, The Last Dance, but you can only find that on Vimeo. Or you can find it on YouTube, but it's like a really deep dive. Mm -hmm. And then on YouTube, another one is Iboga, uh, the Rite of Passage, which talks about more the addiction forms. It goes from Africa and the uses of how they use it in Africa, but then it also goes into a lot of people's stories of how Iboga has transformed their lives. If someone wanted to learn more about this, would that be where they go? Or like if they wanted to get connected with you or see your story or learn about your store, like where would they go? Yeah, so for Iboga information, Iseers, I-C-E-E-R-S dot -E -E com. 
is a great resource to be able to kind of learn more about ayahuasca and iboga, and they're doing a lot of great studies. I think they're based out of Spain. My, I'm very happy. I feel like I have a great community and have been in this community for a long time, and I'm a great reference to a lot of people if they have, you know, any sort of calling or interest or anything. So please feel free to reach out to me at REI bread 87. So rye bread 87 is my Instagram. Please feel free to reach out the store. Instagram is La So L A C O S E H A. SP. So La Cosecha SP for San Poncho. And that's the Instagram for the store. Yeah. And then I just I just have one one question. Where where do you and I don't even know if you've thought about it. Where, where do you see yourself in five years, 10 years, Ooh. 20 years? <sighs> that's, a, that's a tough one, Dr. Cohen. That, that's a tough one because like everywhere, everything's getting really expensive and especially the prices of rent here have really gone up. And so I've really been debating like on what I do because I'm kind of just surviving here, you know, like I'm just trying to making it work, but I'm surviving in paradise. And so I'm really happy with that, but I don't want to go into deep debt and I really want the store to work, you know, in a, in a beautiful way to where I can live peacefully. But I guess, see myself with a family. I see myself putting roots down and uh, I see myself as like a side project. I don't ever really want to make psychedelics my job. I think that can really go to a dangerous point. I don't want to be selling retreats. I don't want to be selling iboga. I don't want to be convincing people to do something. I think the people that I'm most excited to work with have the call and feel like this is what I need to do. It's similar to like what I felt when I first heard about Iboga. And so as like a side passion, side project, I definitely want to stay around the plant medicine space. That's beautiful. What about you, Dr. Cohn? What are you doing in 10 to 10? I could have. Well, <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I, I, I actually would love to uh, to be living on some. I, I think we may have talked about. It. I'd love to be living in some kind of some kind of farm, communal farm, uh, self sustaining, with just a community and just kind of living is really what I'd love to be doing. But uh, hopefully, we'll see. We'll see if we can get there. Yeah, I love that. Awesome. And you, Ali, where do you see oh. yourself? In- yeah, in 10, 25 years, whatever right. our range was. <laughs> yeah. Um, it would be cool to be doing some sort of alternative work. You know, the Monday through Friday, nine to five thing is fun, but also I'd love to maybe shift into something that feels a little bit more like in my body and less in my mind. You know, it's a lot of like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, if anyone can't see me, it's me typing all day. So that's the uh, where <laughs> I just acted out. Um, so if I could find some way to, incorporate like some some more fun work like that into my life that would be amazing traveling more that is really important to me it's also what you're describing about San Poncho's true for LA of course rent is high and uh I have a wonderful friend group who's 
fun and getting married and that's a lot there's expenses there I would love to be able to just like go to everything say yes to the weddings go to every country that I was on my list I manifest being able to do those things and also feel really part of my community as well Riley, this this was amazing. I lo- I loved meeting you. I I hope to actually get to meet you face to face one of these days, and I I'd love to get down there to Mexico. It sounds pretty remarkable. Yeah, I'm down. I'm a great tour guide. Iboga, I'd love yeah. to see that stuff. We'll have yeah, to take a gross anatomy back. trip down. Exactly. There you go. Yeah, feel down good. in Mexico, and there you go. Well, thank you so much. I hope this is just the beginning of, of something rather than the end of something. Um, maybe somehow all of our three visions could meet one day, which which would really be remarkable. Yeah, I would yeah. love that. Thank you so much, you guys. Have a great evening. You guys. Thanks a lot. Too. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Gross Anatomy. As a reminder, Gross Anatomy is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition.